Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. So I have exciting news. I have been teasing on my website for quite a while (laughs) that I was um, creating a divorce program, and it is finally ready, y'all. Crazy town. It was called the Divorce Course. It is now called the Divorce Survival Program. It is, oh my gosh, you guys, it is so good. And I say that because um, I've been working on it for years, and I'm fucking proud of it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And if we can't do really hard work and then be proud of it and say that it's really good, um, then whatever. It's amazing. And I'm also joined by all of my special, uh, special guests for this one. So basically, this is one stop shopping for how to do your divorce in the best possible way. This is, you know, scripts for how to talk to your kids, how to talk to your husband, what you should tell friends and families. Should you hire an attorney? What is the difference between attorney, um, you know, between mediation, litigation, um, collaborative divorce? We have sample custody schedules. We have um, parenting plan examples. We have, I mean, all, I mean, you name it, it's in this course. What do we do if we start getting along? What does that mean we should cancel the divorce? How to have really healthy, strong communication in high conflict or low conflict? We've got it covered. We've got dating after divorce. We've got how to create intimacy. Oh my goodness. It will help you process the emotional fallout of your divorce so that you can mediate rather than litigate. It will help you support your kids in the best way possible. It'll help you understand why your friends are being really fucking weird to you right now and how to navigate that. And all of this, as usual, is in a self-paced, self-guided program housed on a password-protected e-learning platform for your safety and security. And the most important thing this program is going to help you do is protect your children from any unnecessary fallout from an ugly or contentious litigation. This program is geared to people with children. So if you're a mom looking for a clear roadmap to a divorce that will not destroy your kids and you understand that this is a long game, this is a long game process, you're willing to put away your boxing gloves and show up to be as respectful as possible in service of your children, then this program is absolutely for you. Now, here's what I want you to know. There is a waiting list. 
the program will be released to the waiting list only on October 1st. So I want you to follow the link in the show notes and get on the waiting list on my uh, website, or you can just go to katanthony.com, click on Getting Divorced, and it's the first, uh, it's the Divorce Survival Program. Scroll down and get on the wait list, because if you're on the wait list, you get it first. Not only do you get it first, you get it for $100 off, and you get special bonuses. So you want to be on that wait list, and you want to, yeah, <laughs> get the $100 off and get it first. So I have like uh, probably, I think, 22 or 23 videos um, of, you know, just me. I've got worksheets. We've got about 10 guest expert interviews. Oh my God, this is the best part. (laughs) My guest experts. I have, oh, well, obviously I have Susan Guthrie, I have uh, Dr. Elizabeth Cohen. I've got Christina McGee talking about all things children. We have Daniel Harold from Divorced Over 40 about how to build a new community. I have my dear friend Bella Gandhi who's talking about dating after divorce. My dear, dear old friend um, Zoe Kors talking about radical intimacy. I've basically taken everything in my brain that I know about divorce and everything that you need to know. And then I've brought in the brains of all of my friends and colleagues <laughs> and we've put it into one program. This is it. This is coming soon. The Divorce Survival Program. So that is... The first thing that Gaia and I want you to know, (laughs) she, I've got a cheerleading section here. So enough about that. Head on over to the show notes and to my website and get on the waiting list. Today, however, we have an awesome story of um, sex and dating after divorce, ironically. So um, my guest, Laura Williams, um, she's the author of Available a memoir of sex and dating after a marriage ends. And Laura has come on to talk to her, talk about her story because it's really interesting. She was happily married. She was a stay-at-home mom. She had three kids and she had plans to grow old with her husband. And, you know, their life was like many people, you know, maybe the sex was a little formulaic and their life was mostly revolved around their kids, right? And then all of a sudden, she discovered that he was having an affair and it turned her entire life upside down. She found herself with a single for the first time in 27 years. She chose to reinvent herself and she had a, she had a one night stand and she realized that she had a sexual appetite that she'd never explored and that being a mother didn't mean that she had to ignore it. Um, turns out she could be independent, a good mother, and have a great sex life all at the same time. And so she is on the podcast today to talk about her memoir, Available, the press the press sheet says, from G-spots to bald spots, dirty talk to dating fiascos, available is the unflinchingly honest, empowering, and humorous true story of a life turned upside down. So without further ado, I bring you my guest today, 
Laura Friedman Williams. Laura, thank you so much for coming on to talk to us about this super juicy topic. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me on. Anybody who wants to talk about juicy stuff, I'm game. That's right. And speaking of juicy, so you're we're talking about your new memoir called Available, a memoir of sex and dating after a marriage ends. And the reason I say juicy makes me always think of it is because the 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 cover of your book is amazing. It is bright blue and it has a peach. <laughs> <laughs> right there. <laughs> yes. A nice, ripe, juicy peach. <laughs> well, the funny thing about the peach actually is that originally it was an eggplant. Oh. The original cover was purple with darker purple, very large eggplants on it. And it was beautiful and very arresting. But I felt like it was wrong because I thought it should be an image that had to do with women's sexuality, not a male yeah. part. Yeah, so, um, I'm ended so glad up happening, you made that choice. <laughs> as a result of that, we ended up having some hilarious email exchanges, me, my agent, my editor, as well as various friends that I roped in. And we were all sending each other. Basically, we were looking up, Googling sexual fruit. And then, you know, just looking through the images of what came up and debating whether it could be a papaya, if that looked a little too eviscerated uh, or a grapefruit <laughs> or whatever. So it's funny. It ended up with this beautiful peach because it was a long, it was a long process. Of deciding That's what fruit or vegetable would be appropriate. Hilarious. Was did yeah. it was a taco yeah. in the running ever? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But there were some other images, you know, that had been from other books, like a zipper or you know, pockets, things like that. That right. you know, it's amazing when you want to see sex, you can see it in just about anything. So. It's amazing. It's amazing. I think it's yeah. it's one of the most beautiful covers. I mean, I really think it's stunning. So, well, I mean, it's well, very thank simple. You. Thank you. I told you yeah. the first first saw it on Susan Guthrie had have done like a top ten book list or whatever, and I saw it and I was yeah. like, ooh, what's that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, I think it's a, it speaks a lot about the fun parts of the book, you know, the parts of the book that are less fun. And, but that, that part, I think that is hooks on to the really uh, more playful aspect of the book. So speaking of, play, well, speaking of the not fun, let's, so, so let's start with your story and your book is called a memoir of sex and dating after a marriage ends. So let's talk about how your marriage ended. This was not your idea and you were shocked. Yeah. I mean, it ended very suddenly and dramatically, painfully. Um, and in my mind, gruesomely, it was, I sometimes call it beheading because to me, that's what it felt like. It was like, I had an attached body <laughs> at one point and then I didn't. And it happened overnight within real, really within minutes. I found out that my husband was having an affair. I was actually in love with another woman. I had no idea. I didn't see it coming at all. I never imagined that I'm still, I still think I'm still naive and in many ways, I'm very trusting of people. I'm not a jealous person at all. And I really just trust what people say to me. Anytime people deceive me in any way, I honestly, I'm shocked by it. And I don't, I don't think it's the worst quality. You know, I think that no, no, some no. people have a trust issues. I have the opposite. <laughs> I'm overly trusting. Right. And I myself, am a very trustworthy person. So I expect the same from people's and, and he and I had been together since we were 20 years old and really like grown up together as adults. 
you know, we'd spent our entire adult life together and I felt very loved and protected by him. So it wasn't just my naivete. It was also that I was in a relationship in which I was treated very well and I felt very loved. So when I found out that, in fact, there was somebody else for me, I just needed to be away from him immediately. And I asked him to leave. And within 48 hours, he had moved out. And we thought it might be furry. We went to couples therapy. You know, I wasn't ready. It was so shocking. And I was just, I was spinning. It was like, I couldn't even find the ground underneath me. I was so devastated. And I didn't think, know that our marriage was over at that point. Although I couldn't figure out how it would be fixed. And it was pretty evident to both of us, you know, after we started couples counseling, that it was not going to be fixed. That it was really just getting to the point where we were ready to say, okay, from both of us, this is not going to continue. This is, this has to end. It was the worst time of my entire life. And was that because for you, was it because the, the pain and the shock of, of, of the finding out about the affair was so great that you, you couldn't, you could not find a way to move on from it or, or was there sort of more revealed? Did you, like you said, you, you weren't blind, you weren't right. But like, and you were fully in it and you were in love with him and you thought that you guys were going to ride off into the sunset. And then you have this sort of fracturing event. And then in therapy, you realize it's not going to work. Was that from your side, because you were learning more about yourself, learning yeah. more about yourself in the marriage, learning more about him, yes. like how, how, what was that process like for you? Well, I think you've touched on something that's interesting about marriages ending, which or divorce or shock, which is that you think it's one thing and it, it never turns out to be that simple, right? So for me, the affair was this catalyst. It was the straw, right? It was this seismic event. What ended up becoming the biggest source of my pain was that I was so blind to the reality of our lives together. So while I believed that we were really happy and living the life that we were meant to be living. He felt like he was dying. And the acknowledgement in my mind, the realization that we were living in the same home, in the same bed, so intimately with each other, experiencing our universe so differently, that was what was so devastating to me. It was like, how could I how could I be living on an alternate reality with the man who has been sharing my bed for 27 years? How is it possible that we have grown so far apart from each other that I think we have a really fulfilling, happy life that I only want to continue? And he had to blow up his life to get out of it. So sometimes, you know, people say things to me like, oh, if my husband had an affair, you know, I could never get over it. Or they say, if my husband had an affair, I don't think I could leave the marriage. And what I always think is the affair is one aspect of it. The betrayal, the deception, it wasn't that he was sleeping with another woman. For me, that was almost beside the point. The point was that he was so deeply unhappy and I didn't know because I, my headspace was somewhere so different. I felt betrayed by myself. Like, how did you take your eyes off the reality to such a degree that you could be blind to your partner's unhappiness in the same home as you? That was terrifying. It's a very compassionate perspective to have, I think, for you to have the perspective that how could I have been so disconnected from my partner to not notice his misery, <laughs> right? Like his, right. right? And you were busy. You yeah. were raising, you know, a bunch of kids and, yeah. you know, <laughs> right? Like, it's yeah. not like, 
And it sounds like you were also not just disconnected from him, but you were disconnected from yourself. You sort of completely right. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. that was the hardest part for me to eventually come to terms with was it is very scary to realize that you could disconnect from your sort of center of like who you believe yourself to be, that you could disconnect so completely that you go about your life. You have friends, you're mothering. I mean, nobody said like, oh God, that Laura, she's so emotionally detached. I had very close relationships with people my friends, my family. I have a lot of friends. I have a big family, my children. I'm totally there for them. So how is it that I could be there for everybody, be emotionally available to them and be present for them and just not even really understand who I was, what makes me tick, what I really wanted in this lifetime? How could I have just forgotten all the things I had wanted once in my life and let them go to such a degree that I didn't even remember wanting them? Yeah, that that was very jarring. It was really quite devastating. I, I often liken it to a death of a spouse. And I often say it would have been easier if he had died. Because then I would have had the, the perspective I had that we lived a happy life. If he had died, it just, I would have continued to have that vision. My right. kids would have continued to have the vision that they had this really pretty perfect family mm-hmm. and this really happy situation. And so that was all taken away from me. It wasn't just that the future was taken away from me, you know, the the certainty of my future being with this one man for the rest of my life. It was that my, my absolute understanding of the life we had had together was wrong. Mm-hmm. Like how right. could I have been so wrong about my own life? It's really shocking when you find out that you could be that wrong. Yeah. And I can imagine the fact that you got together when you were 20 right might have something to do with it that that you yeah. you sort of get into these patterns and you get into these habits and you you know and and you're raising babies and you're like all of the things right and and so and and when you meet someone when you're that young i don't know like what life events usually the triggering the things that trigger us to get into therapy or to sort of notice these sorts of things are these dramatic triggers right and if you hadn't mm-hmm. lost anyone and you hadn't you nothing you know you'd had this sort of charmed happy life for 27 years right like it like you there's nothing that's forcing you to look a little deeper well, actually, now that you brought that up, I have to say that one of, you know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about why this happened, mm-hmm. why my husband was not happy. Mm-hmm. In many ways, I would say he didn't fall out of love with me. I, I I believe that he still loves me very deeply. And I do feel a lot of compassion for him because I think he, it was a hard, this was hard for him too. I mean, I st- after I stopped hating him, I felt compassion for him. Let me just be right. clear. It's not like, I'm not like a Pollyanna. I didn't right. wake up the next day and be like, poor guy. I mean, it was, I was scorched earth. I, I would have set fire to, you know, our house if, if he was in it. Like I was furious. So when I got to the other side of that, the forgiveness I felt was his parents died. He's an only child. Mm. His parents had divorced when he was very young. He was really the light of both of his parents' life. And they, he, they both died within years of each other. And it was, it was, I think, in a sort of undoing that resulted after his mother died, which was the more recent death a few years ago. I think in my mind, it was partly that he had been so completely adored by his parents. And when they were gone, it was like he had lost the last people who so unconditionally adored him Mm. and that he needed to find that somewhere else. Because as much as I loved him and cared for him, I was not 
goo goo over him anymore. Gaga, whatever it is. I wasn't googly eyed. That's, I guess, what I'm trying to say. You know, I was hard. Well, I was knew him. I was exacting. You, right. Yes. The, yes. I love that. It's a great word, right? You were exacting. You knew him. So you had demands of him and you shared children with him. And there were things yeah. that, right? There, you call each other out on your shit because that's what you do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And family life is so hard. I mean, if you've been home all day and you have a hard day with the kids or he's been at work all day and he comes home and he's exhausted and he said clients yelling at him all day and now I'm yelling at him because I want him to handle bedtime or bath time or, you know, whatever it is. Sure. It's really hard being in a family, being in the thick of family life is really challenging. And I don't think we very often pulled back from it to say like, well, oh, this is hard. Let's, let's figure out how we could improve things. It was just sort of like on to the next thing, you know, we're just like always, we're both very like go getters and getting stuff done. And we were just always moving on to the next thing. So I don't know how much we ever addressed any of the pain, uh, like for him of the loss of his parents. And I think we also both tend to be real, like silver lining people. Like we're always looking for the silver linings. So it's like, you don't, the problem with whenever you're looking for silver linings is you don't often stop and see the dark cloud. The cloud. <laughs> and right. we ignored that cloud. That cloud was gathering and we ignored it because we were always looking for the silver lining. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that catches up with you. And I think his grief over the loss of his parents, I think it really caught up with him in midlife. And yeah. and it like burns the house down, you know, truly right. it, it right. did. So we did have, you know, I think there were some catalysts um, that happened that that did cause him more than me to stand back and say, wait, I'm approaching midlife. I'm in my late 40s. I've got this one life. And is this how I want to be living it? So then you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we said it was going to be fun. (laughs) Yeah, we said, right, right. Sorry, sorry, right. So then, so you were devastated and brokenhearted. And it was like, it was many months, but it was only, it was five months, right? Yeah, it wasn't (laughs) long. It wasn't long. In hindsight, it felt like a hundred years but in reality, it was a few months. Yeah. And so your friends were like, you got to get out there and you got to start dating or whatever. Right. right as they do. People yeah, they t- do. <laughs> people, they're like, the only thing we know how to do is to tell you to go get laid. Mm-hmm. Right. Men, men are right. like, men are like, go get laid. Women are like, go date. Right. And we're like, eh, right. I don't know how. <laughs> so, right. I literally don't know how. Like, is there a manual? Are you going to come with me to show me how this is done? No, because it's but I, married friends. What they want to do is they they want to be voyeurs. They are interested in in participating <laughs> in this on the <laughs> sidelines. They're like as right? a third party. They're vicariously. Right. They're they're living 100%. vicariously through you, right? Yes. Yep. So they that's want why the they, phone call right after it's done. That's why they need you to go out and do this because they really want to hear about it. So yes. So you had your so your first night, you were like, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to suit yep. up. <laughs> I'm yep. going to I'm a gonna bar. put on my armor. I'm going to put on my armor. It's going to smell like rose oil and look like a lace thong. And that's my armor. And I'm putting it on. And out I go. And it was not uh, like a natural or comfortable position for me to be in. It wasn't like I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. It was more like, I'm going to die here if I don't get out of here. You know, I'm going to die alone in my bedroom. That's basically where I'm heading. I'm dying inside. I feel it. I feel it. I'm not, I'm losing myself. I'm losing the part of myself that liked life, that was joyful. I was so focused on my children and on helping them through and on watching their pain close up. And I I just came to a very sudden realization that I could not continue to be like the mother that I wanted to be to them 
and the person that I had been in the world, a good friend, a good daughter, um, all those things without taking care of myself to some degree. And the only thing I could think to do was to go out and see what it felt like to be single. Like all of a sudden it really occurred to me. It was really like this one night where I had this whole epiphany of like, guess what? You're, you are single. You could do anything you want right now. Like you, you can get dressed up and go out and and flirt with a man and do something about it. What? What? my mind. (laughs) Wait, I can do what now? (laughs) Right. Right. Like for all my sadness, I was like, oh my God, this hadn't even really occurred to me. Like when people would say things to me like, oh, you should go out. I was like, that's ridiculous. You know, I always had a child home with me. Like I never had Mm -hmm. freedom just logistically. I didn't have the freedom. And that one night my older kids were not home. I don't remember where they were. And my younger daughter was with her dad and we were in the house together. So I had like cordoned myself off in my bedroom because I wanted them to spend their time together, but I didn't want to have to see him. So I was really, I was literally trapped in my bedroom. And then that's when I had this realization of, I, I don't, this is, I'm choosing this now. The door is closed. I'm inside this bedroom and it's a choice I'm making. And I got to get out of here because I'm going to make the choice to try to live again. And that's what I did. And so you went out. Mm -hmm. I went out. I went to a bar. Uh And it was so lucky that this one single man under the age of 105 happened to be there (laughs) because everybody else was (laughs) so old. (laughs) I sat in my car. In the on the street, and I watched people go into this venue. I bought a ticket. There were there was a concert at this bar in town, and um, I watched people like streaming. And I was like, "This is amazing!" Like either people don't have hair or their hair is white. They're wearing like windbreakers because it's raining out, you know. And here I am in like my high heeled strappy sandals and my my strapless dress, and I'm I'm like in a march into this bar, and I'm just thinking, "Wow, you really have no idea how this is done this or where is- it's done. This is not it. <laughs> this is just not it." But I, but I was there and Turns I was out. like, well, I, yeah. I got, so, so I, so I got very lucky because there was this one man who was younger than I was. So he was, on, you know, in his, I don't know, maybe he's 40, early forties. And I, when I saw him, boy, did I put my daggers into him? I was like, I see you and you're not, I'm, I'm on to you. Like I'm I see watching. you and you're not a hundred years old. So you're it. <laughs> you're it. You literally are it. <laughs> I looked at, I sized him up. I looked at his ring finger. There was nothing on it. I sat and I waited. I watched. I waited people coming in. Is he going to be joined by somebody? Is a girlfriend coming, a wife coming? I sat and I waited. And finally, when I saw that like there was nobody coming for him, I got up from my chair and I dragged it away from him in this very noisy display so that he would be forced to turn around. And he was like, oh, sorry. And I said, no, no, no. I'm just, I didn't want to like crowd you. I have so much, I'm here alone. And I have got like all this space. I just want to give you more space because you're with this big group. And he was like, oh, okay, cool. And then he went back to his group. (laughs) I was like, wow, that didn't work. Now I'm just alone. Like now I'm like really adrift in the sea. And then finally he turned back to me and started talking to me. And and then he was mine. No, he was mine for the night. (laughs) (laughs) And so you have, I mean, listen, like for, this story is great because it's, You're literally like, okay, I'm going to go do this. And then you went yeah. and did this. This wasn't yeah. like, and then the first night it didn't work out and there was nobody there and, you know, or the guy didn't talk to me. Nope. You were like, I'm making this yeah. happen. I think you all went from the time, zero what to would have happened? What would have happened if he wasn't there? 
would I have been, would I have been disappointed and defeated? Would I have felt like too demoralized to go on? I mean, I have no way of ever knowing what would have happened if this man had not walked in when he did. There was no other option. I'll say that very clearly. It was him. It was like do or die. And, and once I started talking to him, I was like, oh, I'm making, this is going to happen. There's no way I'm letting this get away from me. And I, it felt so weird to me. Sometimes when people read the book, they feel like it's a little unrealistic. And I think, well, that might be, but it happened. So I I don't know what that makes it, you know, it did happen. And I understood even at the moment how unlikely it was, Mm -hmm. but it did happen. And he, she's not going to, this is not going to happen if we don't make this. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. We're going to help this girl. We see her and we're going to help her out here. And we, we see you, we see you single, sad lady with your mm-hmm. curly hair and your margarita, and we're mm-hmm. going to meet you there. <laughs> um, I always say, like in the book, I say, I was not like, um, woman, hear me roar. It wasn't like I was walking in and was like, I am here. I am single woman. Hear me roar. It was more like, I am very nervous and I am going to, I'm going to whisper that I would like a margarita and uh, I hope somebody will help me here. So I was, it was not like, here she comes walking down the street. I mean, it was quite, I like slunk in, but he was very kind to me, this man. He was, you know, himself coming out. His wife had died years earlier. He was coming out of a long relationship. He was on this like little motorcycle trip in the area on his own. He had vowed not to make the weekend about a woman. And there I was. And I was basically like, all right, like, I don't know how this is done, but I'm going to make it happen. I, I'm just going to did you just tell him do what I you, think has to be. Were you honest? Were you like, did were you upfront about what you wanted and why and how? Or were you? Well, yeah, I was. Yeah. I, and which is very strange. I'm pretty shy. I know it's hard to believe. I know no one's going to believe that. <laughs> I am. Or sure, at least Laura. to be. Sure. <laughs> if so you ask my sister. <laughs> my sister will always say, what happened to that shy, gentle girl that you used to be? And I was shy and gentle. And so first of all, we had left the bar because he was hungry and I promised that I would show him a place to eat. And when he asked me if I would eat with him and I said, I I won't, you know, I'm not hungry. I was sort of like, I can't believe I'm going to have to delay like the inevitable by sitting in a restaurant with him. So finally I just said to him, are you really that hungry? And I looked at him (laughs) And he took a second to understand my look of like, do you need to eat right now? Or like, can we just move on to like really what we're meant to do here? And he was like, okay. And then he kissed me and he kissed me so hard. I backed up like against a brick wall. And then I was like facing myself against the wall. And I was like, I can't believe this is happening. And he said, my hotel is up the street. And I was like, let's go. And so we marched up the hill in town and like on every corner, he would stop and kiss me again, like just to make sure I was still there. And I was like, I'm still here. I'm still here. And we got to the hotel and he still didn't know, by the way, that like I was a post-marriage virgin. I hadn't, I'd been very like coy about, you know, being coquettish and like the divorcee out on the town. Um, I was playing a role like for a non-actor. I was killing it. I was killing it. Awesome. So okay. I get okay. To, we get to the hotel. I like give myself a pep talk in the bathroom and I'm like, you got this. This is like one time. It like, can't be that bad. You just make sure everything works. You're going to be fine. I come out of the bathroom. He goes in and I realize, like, as I'm standing there that I have this like massive strapless bra on and I'm so embarrassed about it because it's a great strapless bra, but it's like a piece of like with four hooks. It's good. It's like a corset. It's basically a corset. It like stress. I mean, people can't see how big it is, but it was big and really held me so nicely. But I'm like, if he sees this, I'm going to look like, He's going to think he picked up his grandma, you know, in the bar, like forget about me worrying. 
Was it was it beige? No, it was black. Like it wasn't even. <laughs> it was black. It was black. Okay, it was black, well, but okay. also That's, like you know. I mean, I was you know like against my skin. It was like it looked very bulky. So <laughs> I took it off. I was like, this has to come off. But then I was like, oh god. But now I just look. Sad. Now it's like weird. What do I do with this bra? So I was like, I just have to take everything off. I have to just. I have to pregame this. So I, I took everything off. I took off my belt and my dress. I folded everything and put it on the desk. And then I just I love that you folded it. I, That's my yeah. favorite part of the story. I <laughs> folded it. So I never totally forgot myself. That's the point. You know, right. even in that right. moment, I still had to wear my thought, like, don't let that dress get wrinkled and like tuck the bra under the dress so it can't be seen. I'm pretty fastidious. Mm-hmm. Right. So he comes out of the bathroom and I'm standing by this bed, like in this motel, just completely naked. And he's like, and we just sort of look at it and I think, oh my God, is this too much? This isn't what women do. And he goes, uh, no, it's definitely not too much. And then that was it. Then it was, you know, it was, we were all on. And that was, <laughs> it was it, like, it, it's not, it's not what women do. And it is not too much. And it is not too much. <laughs> and by the way, sleeping beauty, I am going to wake you from your hundred year long slumber right now. Let's get started. Once we got into bed and we were fully naked and doing our business, I confessed to him that it was my first time because I did have a moment of like, I can't be like, I can't keep this straight up anymore. This is just too weird for me. Like I've come this far and now it's time. It's going to, it's time. So I said to him, listen, this is actually my first time and I'm, I'm a little nervous. And he was like, okay. You know, he was kind about it. He wasn't dismissive of me or like, okay, do you want to stop? It was just sort of an acknowledgement, which I really appreciate and was all I needed was that acknowledgement. And then we were great. Then we were off and running. And it was so great that it was like all after that, all I wanted was more of it. Yeah. So then be, thus began, thus began the sort of <laughs> the, the revolution of, of you. Yeah. Right. I mean, so then from like shy coquettish <laughs> you <laughs> to all of it. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, mean, yeah. I think a few things happened at once, you know, uh-huh. I think in hindsight, I definitely used um, sex to grieve. So I don't, I definitely did not understand that I was doing it when I was doing it. That that, that sex for me was Mm. a tool that I was using to grieve. I 100% feel that way now. At the time, I definitely didn't see that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Some people think that that's not a proper, I don't, it's not an adequate tool, but you know what it was for me. So who's to say it can't be for other people? I I was, I would say it was a, it was serving a few functions. Number one, I was grieving the loss of my marriage and it was um, helping me. It was distracting me, but it was also empowering me because I saw that I could continue to have a life that I was choosing that nobody else, like at the end of the day, only I was in my own body. Only I could make myself get out of the house. Only I could decide I was going to sleep with somebody or not. And I understood all of a sudden how much power I had inside of me. And sex showed me that. So yes, it was a distraction. Yes, it was a grieving tool. But it was also empowering, but not for the reasons why people think. It wasn't empowering for that same reason why I was talking about before, like, I'm woman, hear me roar. It was empowering because it was like, what's the one thing you have all to yourself that nobody can tell you what to do with, right? Like your body and your feelings, And I understood that those were all mine and that if I wanted to use them to get to some other side, that I had the power to do that. And, and then I just wanted more of it because it was also fun. And I was on a little bit of a fact-finding mission. You know, I was curious to know at that point, like, what do I like? What do, 
what what does good sex for me mean? What does good sex for men mean? What do they like about my body? What do they not like? What do they find a huge turn on? Right. You know, I wanted to know all of it. it and not even, I didn't even mean it in a personal way. I just wanted to know. I just wanted to understand this element of my life that had been until that point, like completely not a priority. And and what's amazing um, and really interesting about your journey with this is that you you ask them all. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't just a, it wasn't just like, hmm, I'm really curious. I'm going to go and sort of like experience this and learn about it. You were like, no, what do you like about women's bodies? Yeah. <laughs> what do you like about my body? What, yeah. one of my favorites is you talk about like, what do you like about going down on a woman? Like, yeah. what does it taste like? Why do you like, right? Like, why do you like that? Which yeah. is like, it's not a question I think that most people would actually ask. Yeah. I right? think I just started, I mean, shy little Laura got a little bold. And, you know, and I, and I was also like, I am aside from like the sex stuff. I just want to say like, I'm a curious person. I always ask a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. So when I meet somebody, chances are I'm going, it's going to sound like I'm grilling them or I'm interrogating them. And it's not out of uh, any kind of malice. I mean, I just want to know the story. I want to understand the elements of it. Like to me, it's just so interesting to know that you could look at someone and think a million things about them, all of which are wrong. And that underlying that is a story that's much more fascinating and dynamic and multifaceted than you could ever imagine. And so I I started to understand that sex was the same way and that people were going to have different responses to it. That like some men love dirty talks, some men love a full bush, some love a completely shaved one. I mean, it was just like people were all over the place and I didn't even really know what I liked yet. You know, I was sort of learning because I had put myself into such a box of like, sort of being a little prim and proper and not really being a sexual person. So it's like all of a sudden I'm discovering that I myself am a very sexual person that I like. Have, what does that mean? I mean, that, that I like having sex, you know, and that I'm not afraid to ask for it right. if I want it. And so all of a sudden I'm finding that out. And I'm also, I'm also trying to understand like how it all works and what part of, what parts of it I can adopt and embrace and what parts of it I just are not going to be for me. And why men like what they like or don't like it. They're like, I also felt, I think there was a large part of me that felt very inadequate. You know, when you've been with a man, as long as I've been with my husband and he has sex with another woman, you feel like, well, obviously there's something wrong with me because if there hadn't been like, I have lots of friends, I have a million friends and their husbands didn't cheat on them or leave them. So clearly there's something wrong with me. And so I need to figure out what it is. Uh, And I, if I ask enough questions, of like, what do you like? What don't you like? I'm finally, I'm going to get to the bottom of what is inherently wrong with me uh, that somebody who loves me so much could reject me. Obviously what right. I found out right. was that it, there was, it wasn't that simple, right? It's not, there's no, it wasn't really a quid pro quo that way, but it asking those questions helped me to understand. And I think just helped me to start opening up and understanding like sex is sex. Like most people like it. Most people want to have more of it. And why are we so, why do we feel like we can't talk about it? Why is it something we can't talk about with our children or with our parents or with our grandparents or our Mm -hmm. friends? I just sort of realized like, this is not a subject that should be as off limits as it is. It should not be a taboo subject that brings us embarrassment or shame. And the more I talked about it, the more I was able to normalize it for myself. And I think it's really, I mean, and and it is a taboo subject for women, right? It's like, Men have no problem talking about it. They talk about it all. I mean, we talk about it with each other, but in a very specific way, right? But for a woman going out and 
and expressing sexual desire and harnessing her sexual power, you know, there's a lot of societal pushback. Yeah. On that. I'll say. Right. Did you encounter any of that? Like yeah. while you were out there? Um, yeah. There was one guy, I remember he said to me that he really found it like a turnoff that he had been very surprised and a little turned off by the fact that I had slept with him, like on our first date, like uh, we had gone for like coffee or something. And then we had like a date night and that I, before we even like, okay, I, I think we should just have sex because I just wanted to. And I just was curious about it. And once again, like at the time I was young enough in the process, new enough in the process that I was constantly like wanting a little bit to have the sex so I could even see if I wanted the date. You know, it was like a little bit of the reverse. And he was right, really taken right. back by it. He was sort of like, made me feel a little but bit not like, so taken aback, not no. so <laughs> turned off that he didn't have sex with you. And also like, sleep over. right. Meanwhile, he's like, how many men would like to do that, do that all the time. But when the roles are reversed, they're like, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Right. I definitely experienced some of that. And I experienced a lot of it as the book was book has been out in England for a month. And I get a lot of comments like that about like, what about her children? You know, and it's sort of like, well, they what about, uh, you know, <laughs> well, they weren't there. And also like, what about the children? Well, my children just survived their dad's affair with a woman that was like barely older than they were. So like, I don't think I'm the problem here. Like, I'm just enjoying having sex. Like, I'm not doing anything wrong. And what I've come to embrace is the fact that it's not, there's nothing wrong with having sex. You just have to do it. You have to be respectful to yourself, right? And right. to other people. Right. And, and, you're, and you're teaching your children about health, healthy, a healthy, having how to have a healthy relationship to sex as opposed to, I love that the British are judging you on like how, like healthy relationship to anything. I, I can say that because I am British. But like. Oh, <laughs> well, a lot of them aren't. I want to say like they were yeah. the ones actually, when I couldn't, originally I did not sell the book here in the US, the, the British editors, they like fell for it. And they were like, my British editor, oh, who I love, who was a young interestingly she's a very young woman she's like in her 20s and she was like i have to have this book i love this book this is like such an empowering bold book and i i have to have it and so she bought it before anybody bought it here in the u.s because she saw something in it so i i don't you know as like there is this there is a sort of primness right to certain parts of the population and then i think an absolute outspoken bodiness to yes a lot of the rest of the public but i but i what i think is a very like I've never I never thought I was going to be like the poster child for you know having an open sex life and I do feel like I encourage my kids to be very open with me I just treat it like it's a normal thing it's like eating or you know exercising or anything else we do it's mm-hmm. one more thing we do and I right. don't pretend it's not happening because it is and it should be really nice it should be really you know, enjoyable just like eating should be enjoyable right like I love food and um, food is a big part of my fa- part of my family's life. Like we we love to eat, we love to cook, and so obviously sex is something like everybody's going to do in their own corner. And but but certainly you can talk to me, you know, if you need birth control or if you're not sure about what something feels like. Like I'm, we could talk about it. And my kids have had to understand also in my writing this book and talking about it so publicly that I am a woman who has a sex life, even though I'm their mother. Right, and that's right. the way it goes. That's right. That's right. And then of course I'm 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 like endlessly curious about the statistically speaking people don't tend to end up with their affair partners. Hmm. Is is your husband still no with his affair partner? <laughs> right. He is not. 
He's not. I think that would have been really hard for me. And so I am, you know, I speak a lot about forgiveness and compassion mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. believe in those things. And I think my husband and I have reached a place three or we're about three and a half years out from our separation, you know, the original event um, where we really are, you know, we can talk and we really are good co-parents and we really are, we communicate well and I have forgiven him. And I understand that there were a lot of events happening that, that, caused him to have this repair. And I've forgiven him because at the end of the day, the affair was a gift to me because it allowed me to have a whole different life that I love. So I'm grateful for it, truly grateful for it. I mean, I would never want to live through the pain again. I never would want to put my children through that pain again, but I do firmly believe, and I believe my children would agree and my husband would agree that we're all better off for it. So if he had stayed with the woman, I think that would have, these words might be hard for me to say. I think that would be really hard because it would be hard for me to embrace her. Not that I've like embraced my husband's new girlfriend, but I'm certainly, she's a really nice person. I encourage my kids to have whatever relationship they want with her. You know, I'm happy for my husband to be happy with her. So I don't begrudge him that. And I don't know if I could have done that. I, I don't. I don't love that this woman, you know, was in my home and knew me and had an affair with my husband. I don't love that. That would have been hard for me to get. That is still hard for me. Sure. And I'm human. So sure. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm not, I'm not hugely bitter and angry, but I, I don't know where I could have gone. I don't know how far I could have come with that one. That would have been a tough one for me. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. So yeah. all right. <laughs> I, I hear that. <laughs> okay. So, so three, you're three years out of your marriage. You mm-hmm. are, and now you, you've, you've sort of been through this process and now you're, where are you now with sex, dating, all, all of that? Well, so I started dating somebody about two and a half years ago. We knew each other from like past lives before when we were both married and then we both got divorced and um, were reconnected with each other. And we've been dating each other. So it's been, it's turned into a couple of years. And I think we have a, we've developed a pretty nice rhythm with each other. Uh, neither of us wants to be remarried. Neither of us wants to live with each other or with anybody. As far as we can tell at this point, we both really appreciate having our own spaces and our own lives. We both have our own friends and our own children and our own families so it's worked out pretty nicely. I think one of one, there's a few things. One is he knows I've been very upfront with him that I, I'm not really planning on ever committing myself to a monogamous relationship again. I just feel like this is too new for me and I'm mm-hmm. not, maybe someday I will, maybe down the road I will, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know where I'll be down the road right now where I am, the sexual freedom that I feel is very exciting still and very stimulating uh, mentally, not just physically. And I'm just not going to let that go. You know, I, the trauma that I went through in the breakup of my marriage was such that I have to embrace the parts of myself that have emerged that were unlikely and I have to protect those parts of myself. So for me, re-entering a really committed monogamous relationship, a goal-oriented relationship is just, I don't want it. Mm-hmm. I want to be free. And even if it's just the feeling of freedom, even if I don't do anything about it, knowing that I could and that I wouldn't be morally wrong. As I said, I'm a trustworthy person and I'm a trusting person. So I have said to this man who is known as number six in the book, I I'm going to let you know, I say this to him and he knows this. I, I may sleep with other people and I, I won't really date them. I'll probably, I just want to date you. Like, I don't think I could enter multiple relationships. I don't think I have the emotional bandwidth to be emotionally attached to more than one person. 
but if I feel like having, (laughs) it does. I mean, it's seriously exhausting. Um, one is plenty and he's so like, I mean, he's really good to me. He, he really takes good care of me. He listens to me. I, I try to be there for him. I think we, we mutually support each other. So I think we have a really nice thing going, but my freedom, the feeling that I'm not in that box, that I'm not in that bedroom with the door closed, just not, I'm not doing it. So he knows that. And he accepts it. And when he decides he doesn't want to accept it anymore, then that's a decision he has to make for himself. That's right. So, yeah, yeah. I think that's great. And that's, you know, look, a healthy relationship doesn't look one way or another. The way it looks is that you have open communication about what it's going to look like. Right. And you keep sort of updating that communication, you know, or updating what it looks like through open communication. Right. And so as long as both people are sort of consenting to the dynamic, then that's a healthy relationship, right? It's not for anyone else to say. I think all the time about this, who says, like, who says that I have to be in a committed relationship? Who says that to be a good mother, I have to like not be talking about my sex life? Who says, who gets to make these decisions? Well, actually it turns out nobody does. Turns out you you do. We live. Turns out you get to say. (laughs) Yeah. It turns out that I live in a very, you know, free liberal society and it's 21st century. And if I want to sleep with different people, I can. And if I don't ever want to be married again, I don't have to be. And I think that's really hard for a lot of people to accept. A lot of people say to me a lot. This is a one thing that really continues to shock me. Well, you'll change your mind. Like when I say, I don't really want to be married again. Well, you'll probably change your mind. And I think. Based on what? Like based on based, what? Your based fear? on the fact that that's what women do. Well, you were, it's, that's what I was going to say. It's your fear of a free woman. I think that's like, right. This is like patriarchal conditioning 101. Mm-hmm. Like we can't, we can't abide the idea that a woman doesn't need a man, that a woman doesn't want a man, that a woman can make these choices for herself and her life without a man. And so, so she has to, at some point change her mind, of course. Yeah. I think that's exactly what it is. Or, and whether if you're a man saying that, that's one thing. And then I think if you're a woman saying that you're also saying something else, which is, well, I'm in this box. Why shouldn't you be in it too? You got to be in here too. Right. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. And I, and I do feel, you know, I'm the least likely person to be saying this. I was from the time I was in my late teens, I just wanted a husband. I wanted to be married forever. I wanted lots of babies. I was a stay-at-home mom. I was the head of the PTA at multiple schools. And I loved that life. But I was fully immersed. I looked like it, my life could have easily been picked up and dropped into 1955. And you wouldn't have batted an eye. So, all right. So in the last couple of minutes here, what advice do you have for women? So um, I've got a lot of listeners who are just about to get out or are just getting out or and they're looking at this world of dating and sexuality and having sex and they're terrified they don't know what to do what's your what's what advice do you give these women one thing i would say is like break it down into palatable bites and each one is just its own step so if the step is going out and sitting at a bar just go out and sit at the bar that is the goal for the night Mm. The, the man may not walk in anybody less than 105 may not walk in that is okay you've already met your you've already met your quota you've already met with success because what you did was you went out you le- left your bedroom it was probably really hard to do but you did yeah, it that's right. the first step mm-hmm. maybe when you do that enough times or you talk or just talk to somebody 
talk to a man, force yourself to talk to a man. By the way, it could be a 90 year old man. If it has to be, just talk to anybody just to get your voice in use and practicing it. And then I would say you could try online dating. You have to be very careful to really screen people, but do it even just to practice having practice getting out there. Right. Exactly. Even if it's texting or just to see. Yeah. Right. Right. It doesn't happen, but it doesn't, here's the, here's the, I think the thing that's so important to remember, nothing that you do has to lead to anything else. So take whatever experience you have in, in and of itself. So if the, you know, if all you're doing is sitting and having a drink with somebody, you may really not like him. You don't want to kiss him. Good night. You're not attracted. That's fine. You went, you had experience. You just learned something. You learned that you're not interested in men that talk about history. I don't know. I'm just making up things or that you don't want to date a man who has a dog. I mean, it could be anything or that you only want to date a man who has children because you have children and you feel that you need to have that connection. So no matter what you do, it's not going to be a failure. Anything you do, you can attach success to for whatever, you know, whatever you're looking for. So just don't be goal oriented. If you go on a date and your goal is to get married or to find a boyfriend, you probably will feel like a failure by the end of the night. If your goal is just to go out and be on a little bit of a fact finding mission, ask some embarrassing questions. People love to talk. People love when you ask these questions, by the way, not one man like looked at me sideways when I asked questions about like, what do you love about a woman's smell? Or, you know, what, what, why do you mind love, love oral sex so much? Not one man looked at me askance. They were like, well, isn't it obvious? And I was like, it's, it's actually not obvious to me. I would like to know. So just ask, ask, but a lot of these people, you'll never see them again. <laughs> so, right. And get curious. And, and I would say also yeah. get, be curious about the other person, but also be curious about yourself and your experience yes. and your reactions, because if you're not attracted yes. to them, you don't have to kiss them. If you don't like yeah. them, you don't have to stay. <laughs> like, right. It's just right. So, so, so I think going in with open curiosity, both about them and about yourself and your experience here is, is really important. Yeah. I think if you're a, uh, if you consider yourself sort of um, like a, a lifelong learner. So like for me, I'm somebody that listens to a lot of podcasts. I love podcasts. I love to hear I am a big reader. I read a ton of books. I read magazines. I read medium. I love to know people's points of view and why people do what they do. But I I really love hearing people talk because you never know when they're going to say the thing that resonates with you, that makes you think, oh yeah, why, why did I always think that? Why do I think that about myself? Why do I think that about the world? Oh, okay. My goal tonight is just to go and sit and have a drink at a bar. That's my goal. I can do that. So for yes. me, like I'm, I'm open and I'm a learner. And so I listen to podcasts and I listen to a lot of the divorce yours and, and Susan Guthrie and, and other podcasts also for middle women in midlife. And I learn something. I always learn something. Or sometimes it's, I learn what I don't want to do. <laughs> sometimes I learn what I don't want to be like, I just learn something. So I think just break it into cut it up into little bite-sized pieces yeah, And you don't have to be so afraid because it's not like you're going out to have sex. You're just going out, you know, you're, you're just, just going out to going learn, out. Just, to learn yeah. who you are nowadays, because if it's been 27 yeah. years, you, you don't know, we may not know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's like, I say a lot, you know, also like, I know confidence, you know, is very elusive to people. And I have always had a lot of confidence. So I understand that that I'm lucky in that way. But at the same time, I did not have it when I was that first night that I was going out sitting at that bar. 
I thought I was invisible. I like, I wonder if anybody will even see me. That was sort of why I got up and dragged my stool. I was sort of like, let's see if anybody notices me. Like if I'm actually here yes. and people can see that I'm here because I feel so irrelevant and invisible. So I regained my confidence. I didn't start with it. You know, I didn't have it when I first started going out. I just found finally after I went out enough times and people, enough people took me out, you know, home and slept with me. I was like, oh, I'm not invisible. Gotcha. I think that's really important is that we talk about building self-esteem all the time and everyone's like, you can't, you know, love someone else unless you love yourself, all that shit. But we, <laughs> I think we, I, I hate that by the way. But I, and I think that <laughs> it's another, that's another episode, but I think that yeah. we, we take other esteem, right? The esteem that we derive from others we don't give that enough weight, right? Because other people can destroy our self-esteem, but they can also yeah. build it up. It yeah. really does help your confidence if somebody checks you out or if someone says something yeah. nice about you or if some, right? But you kind of got to be out of your house in order for that to happen. Right, you got to be in it to win it, yes. for sure. I mean, yes. We had some really uh, pretty funny experiences like when I was first starting to get myself out there and I was feeling so super crappy and my friends and I were biking and, you know, like construction workers are like whistling and everybody always hates that. Right. Like, but when you get to be a certain age, you're like, thank you. <laughs> like, thank you for noticing me. And I'm for real down. I'm <laughs> waving to every gardener and everybody wielding a hammer. I'm like, hello. And my friend is like, oh my God, not you will just do anything with anybody right now. And I'm like, I literally, if someone looks at me, I'm like, thank you for noticing that I am alive and here. And mm -hmm. I'm, and I, kept doing it. I just, whatever tension I could get, I took it. So good. So good. So uh, Laura, where can people find you? Read your book. I'm assuming it's everywhere. Yes. So the, the book is on, it's, I, I recorded an audio version of it. So it's on Audible and it's downloadable as an ebook. It is going to be available here, like on Amazon and more, more local bookstores, et cetera, as of September 14th. Um, right now it's it published in England first because those English gals were willing to take a chance on me. Uh, <laughs> go Weird. team UK, UK. So that's uh, so the book again, ebook, audio, and uh, pre-orders available on Amazon. And then I'm um, also on Instagram at Laura Friedman Williams, and I'm on Twitter at Laura FW212. I'm on Medium. I'm on LinkedIn. People can find me anywhere. And you know what? I always yes. respond. So if anybody wants to reach out to me and share something with me or whatever, I, I, I almost always, I always try to respond and I feel like it's very important that I like to reach out to people when I read a book or when something, or listen to a podcast and it resonates with me. I love to reach out to people to let them know and I'm, and to see what they have to say, you know, as a follow-up. And so I'm here and I'm, I'm available. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So good. Thank you so much, Laura. This is such a great and fun conversation and I'm, super excited about everyone everyone snatching up your book and reading it thank you kate thank you for giving me a chance to giggle for an hour and i appreciate it it was fun <laughs> yeah. thanks for tuning in to another episode of the divorce survival guide podcast if you like what you hear head on over to apple podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review and don't forget to follow me on instagram at the divorce survival guide I'll see you next time, and until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.